welcome to Tape to Tape, powered by Ram, back-to-back winner of Motor Trends Truck of the Year. I'm Ryan Dixon. I'm a writer for Sportsnet.ca. Joining me on the other line, as always, Sportsnet's NHL editor, Rory Boylan. Rory, what is up? You know, getting through these playoffs um, and also starting to move towards offseason, which is going to be fascinating for a lot of reasons, right? Like, some good free agents. It's not a lot of room to re-sign on the teams. A lot of trade candidates. A goalie market that's going to be insane. And all of this is going to be really compressed if we're talking about a draft that's going to be held midweek in early October, followed by free agency probably two or three days after that's done. And then who knows after yeah, that what's can, going to happen, right? Canadian but, Thanksgiving just got a lot more interesting. Oh, yeah. I think I joked before, it used to be July 1 was a, really... A, literally a national holiday but also a little bit in terms of people uh, monitoring twitter and sportsnet.ca well that'll be happening during uh thanksgiving weekend this year and we're going to dive into that um that's what we want to talk about on this block because as you said the off season's really only about three weeks away here as we're coming down the stretch we're of course going to talk a little bit about the final four in the nhl playoffs but what we really want to get to in this pod is a story that you have up on .ca today, 25 trade candidates, guys whose names, if you haven't heard already, you are probably going to hear at least mentioned as we move into this interesting offseason. And I'll go back to that. As you said, I mean, yes, on one hand, it is going to be compressed. Now, on the other hand, it might also be really long when it comes down to it because we don't know when the 2020-2021 season will start, but it could certainly get hairy fast. And I mean, we've already seen deals of significance with Casper Kapanen going to Pittsburgh, the Canadians making a strong move to get Jake Allen already. But you put together this list. Uh, folks can read up at sportsnet.ca. We're not going to go through every guy, but I have some guys I want to bring up. I have some guys that aren't on the list that I want to throw at you. Why don't you tell me, though, some of the more interesting ones that... Um, you thought about as you were putting this list together? Well, okay. I mean, let's, let's just mention the obvious ones and not get too deep into them. Freddie Anderson, Johnny Gaudreau. I think we've talked about those ones yeah. on the podcast. Like big names. It would be really interesting to see what happens, if anything, with either of them. But I don't want to get too far into that because I think we've touched on I'll, them. I'll circle back to Anderson. We'll leave yeah. Gaudreau alone. Yeah, okay, sure. Um, you know, I think some of the more interesting ones could come out of Arizona. Um, you know, it's kind of shocking when you see that they only have a little over a million dollars in salary cap room uh, against next year's $81.5 million cap, still hoping to re-sign Taylor Hall, although I would be surprised if, if he doesn't yeah. end up somewhere else. Um, but you've kind of like, they're, they're caught, right? Like you want to keep moving this thing forward and try and make some progress as, as a playoff team, even though they might not have been if they finished the 82 game season. But also, they've just been heavily fined in draft picks for the the player testing violations that they did. So they're going to be without a, a first round pick. Like, so maybe they're going to want to recoup some of those assets to make sure that they're going to be able to keep costs low and keep a competitive team on the ice in the years to come. Um, and they're going to need to sh- shave some salary down. So the, the names that have popped up are. Oliver Ekman Larson came up on a Saturday night headlines segment with Elliot Friedman and Chris Johnson a couple of weeks ago. I mean, that guy's a top pair defenseman for 
almost every team in the in the league. And anybody and would o- want them. And only twenty nine still. Only He's be a good defenseman for a while. Signed long term, so you're getting some. You know, even though it's a big contract, you'll have the certainty that you've got this guy for the long term if you do make that move. And the other one that started to come up is is their goalie Darcy Kemper, who. You know, it was a little surprising when they got him from the LA Kings and he wasn't really proven as uh, for sure number one at that point. And he's got some injury risk to him, definitely. Um, but when he's been playing, he's been elite. And I, uh, I had asked Andrew Berkshire, our analytics writer, to kind of look at this a couple of months ago at this point. You know, is it, is it Kemper that is good or is it the system in front of him that makes him good? And the conclusion was, Ultimately, it's a little bit of both, but it's more Kemper. It's more this guy. So you might find that he can go somewhere else and be somebody else's number one. Um, and again, this is going to be such a, a wild goalie market, but this guy makes $4.5 million for another two years. It's a fresh contract, so it's not even that big of a cap hit to bring him in, and he could be one of those elite starters. So if you're able to get somebody like him, like like if Toronto was able to replace Randy Anderson with a guy like that, or if Vancouver can't re-sign Jacob Markstrom and they bring in a Kemper and that's who they replace him with. I mean, he, he could be a guy that if he stays healthy, takes a run at the Vesna. So those, those are two names that jump, jump off the page at me, but it doesn't even end there on Arizona. Nick Jalmerson has been, you know, beloved around the lake for his defensive shutdown uh, uh, ways in Arizona, even going back to Chicago. Remember, oh, yeah. for San Jose, gave him an offer sheet yeah. when he was there. I forgot about that until um, you uh, wrote about it. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah that's right. It, that happened. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, he's he's a little older now, but he can still log a lot of minutes and be a, a you know, middle of the lineup, second pair kind of guy, shorthanded minutes. Um, and there'd be a lot of value there. So there's a lot of those kind of guys. Alex Goligoski is another one, like a lot of blue liners that could be available on that Arizona Coyotes team. So I'm looking to see what they do because they're they're just caught. Like how much priority do they put on just trying to make next year's team better than what they did this year versus having to offset that, those lost draft picks and trying to make sure that they're going to be secure in the years to come. All right. Let's, Put a bow on the goalie talk because it's come up a couple times that it we expect it to be a bit of a zany market. And we'll definitely talk about the UFA market in an upcoming pod before um, that insanity hits. But so, I'll get my Freddie Anderson thought out of the way. And I've been a guy who's come down a little more on the side of if the Leafs can trade one of their big boys, which realistically is Nylander, maybe Marner, for that defenseman that would really help them. I, I'm I don't blindly say, no, you can't trade those guys. I've been on the, you know, in the camp of you really need to explore that. The Anderson thing, I don't get. I just think you're going to have a hard time doing better than an Anderson-Jack Campbell duo next year for a combined 6.6. And I don't know if this just comes down to he's let in too many stinkers in critical games, and that's fair. Like, I've also been in the camp that has said, I'll kind of believe it when I see it with this guy. And that goes back to the ducks in terms of big, big moments. But Mm -hmm. that's also the kind of thing that can change in a hurry. He's been so good overall for them. I don't know. I just don't see, I mean, yes. Okay. There's a lot of goalies in place. So I suppose there are scenarios where maybe they come out ahead, but to me, after all the uncertainty they went through trying to find a backup there in past years to go into next season and saying, these are our two guys. We know Campbell can play 25 games. We should have a super rested Freddie. I just feel like that is their best option for the next year. 
I do too. I, I, I find it just how that would work, right? Like how do you bring in Freddie Anderson's replacement while still holding Freddie Anderson or after the fact, like, you, first of all, you can't trade Freddie Anderson w- without knowing that you've got someone yeah. who's going to replace him, right? Whether it's, whether it's a new number one or whether it's someone who's going to be more of a split starter with, with Jack Campbell. And you can debate whether or not that puts you in a better position. I don't really think so. But Freddie Anderson has been so reliable in the regular season and you need to get to the playoffs first. And he's been so consistent for them that that's tough. And on the other hand, like if you bring in Freddie Anderson's replacement before you trade Freddie Anderson, you have absolutely no leverage anymore in those trade talks yeah. because you have to move him. And everybody knows that you have to move him at that point. And it's a buyer's market. You're never going to be in a situation, I don't think, especially with Anderson going into the last year of his contract and being UFA after that, you're never going to be in a position that way where you're going to be able to hit a home run on a trade. So just, just how the order of things would work out. Like I would think if you're going to trade Freddie Anderson, it's going to have to be in a deal where you get his replacement coming back and it's not going to be off the free agent market. It's just, it's not easy for me to figure out the, the path there. And, you know, part of it is that look like, a lot of their early season struggles had to do with, they didn't have a backup for Freddie Anderson, Curtis McElhinney. I mean, or sorry, Michael Hutchison was not very good for them in those games. It was like an automatic loss. Campbell was certainly a a pretty big upgrade on that situation. And we barely saw the two of them together in the regular season before the COVID-19 shutdown hit. So I would think you'd want to give that one more shot because a, your starter again, very reliable, very consistent in the regular season. You know what you're going to get. If you just lighten his workload a little bit, knowing that Jack Campbell can go in there for 30 games and be fine and shouldn't throw away losses, um, and then you have a rested Freddie Anderson who hasn't had to be off for four months um, for the playoffs again, that to me is the smoothest way that you can get next year and the most reliable. Any, Any trade for Freddie Anderson comes with massive risk that I just don't see this team being able to make right now. Um, it's funny. I'm listening to all the NFL podcasts right now as that season gets underway because there's no training camp that are going to thrive or the ones that have continuity. We might be talking about hockey about that next year as we try and figure out okay. when the heck is this going to happen? What's it going to look like? Like, do you really, does that feel like the time to be like, and on top of everything, let's throw in a new number one. You know, he, Freddie Anderson has been part of that team since they turned around. He's super tight with awesome Matthews and, I'm sure other guys on the team, I don't know. It just feels like there's too much continuity there. I have to ask about Marc-Andre Fleury as well. Oh, um, it's just crazy that it's it's come to this, but two years left at seven mil, so it is a big ticket. But I look around, and Carolina jumps out at me as a team that could maybe use a goalie like him. Um, what do you think? How will this play out with a guy who is very accomplished, who is beloved by teammates, has had you know, a ton of success, but just keeps kind of finding himself on the outside looking in. Well, first of all, for him to be on the trade market, Robin Lehner's got to sign a deal for his extension first, right? hundred percent. And until that happens, Marc-Andre Fleury is not really a trade candidate. They're, they're going to need a goalie. They don't have anybody else in the system to be the backup either. So they need to take care of that business first, but assuming Lehner does resign, um, I kind of think that, if Vegas is going to trade Flurry, they're going to have to retain some of that salary, like at least $2 million, right? I don't think anybody is taking 
Marc-Andre Fleury for $7 million in two more years when he's clearly been in decline for the last couple of seasons here. I don't see him as any more than a split starter right, yeah. right now. Um, and, then if you, and then if you have some retained salary, depending on how much it is, like maybe Pittsburgh becomes a fit again. Um, if they're oh going to move God. out one of their other goalies, right? Maybe, <laughs> maybe if Dallas loses Anton Kudobin, they become a bit of a fit, although they don't have a ton of cap room either. So maybe you have to retain a little bit more salary on that. It's not obvious. Like Calgary could be a yep. fit. Edmonton could be a fit. Like, like all these teams, man, like there's all these teams that need goalies. It's just a matter of how much are you willing to pay uh, Marc-Andre Fleury. Um, but it's not going to be going to a contender that is going to lean on him for 55 to 60 games anymore. That's gone past. It's, there's no way that Vegas is going to come out of this as a winner. Um, it, it, they're going to get what they can for, for him if they trade him. And it's just shocking how it's ended, right? Yeah. Like from the day he arrived there, he was the smiling face of the Vegas Golden Knights franchise. He's been in you know, local commercials like that. That's who everybody identifies with the Golden Knights is Marc-Andre Fleury. And then he was awesome in that playoff run where they went to the Stanley Cup final in that first season. Wasn't so great in the final, but was like historically great in those first three rounds. And now he's been replaced. He got a new coach. He's just hasn't been the same Marc-Andre Fleury. Robin Lehner's been outstanding. And so you have to go with the other goalie and Fleury's just you know, that's just the business. It's shocking how it's come to an end here, but it would be hard to see, especially after Alan Walsh's social media post there, right, too, where it was that stabbing in the back. Like, it just doesn't seem like a, a relationship that can keep going if Laner is going to stay there next year because Laner is a number one goalie. Um, it's going to be messy. It's not going to be easy for anybody. Uh, it's not going to be easy for Vegas to get back what they would like. It's not going to be easy for Fleury to go into another situation where he's going to be less used than he mostly has been through his career. Um, but as long as Laner signs, I, I think they've got to trade him. I think there's no way that you go through with these two same goalies in your crease next year. So this isn't nearly as uh, shocking how it's played out, but I mean, Max Domi comes to the Canadians in a one for one, two years ago when they have no centers, they have Philip Deneau, who at that point is really looking like a, maybe a good third line center, smart player, but hasn't shown a ton offensively. And Domi comes in the year after they tried to put Jonathan Drouin in the middle as the shiny new toy. And it's an unmitigated disaster. They're trying everything to fill this hole. And lo and behold, boom, Domi was just a great fit there. And it looked like a match made in heaven. He loved it. It reminded me very much of PK Subban, a Toronto guy who just loved playing in Montreal. And you could see him spending a decade there. And lo and behold, here we are after year two with the Canadians. You kind of look at the lineup and you think as long as they believe he's a center or that he's best suited there, which Claude Julien has said, there kind of isn't room for him. And now he's an RFA. He hasn't requested a trade or anything as we know, but he has switched agents. There's been a ton of chatter that he could move. And as someone who watches a lot of Habs games, I am curious what the, what the perception of him is around the league. Do people think he can step in and be a number two guy? Or is he maybe not quite suited to that role? Bottom line, in a top nine league i think you have to believe he is he can play behind your number one whether it's a two or three um but i'll be very interested to see what becomes of this situation another guy who's on your list is josh anderson 
of Columbus. And our man, Eric Angles has floated that one for one before as, you know, Carol, uh, Carolina Columbus after Dubois could use some help up the middle. The Canadians want size and skill on the wings. I, I, you know, that one feels like there might be something there. The other team too, that I keep thinking, and it's certainly, uh, I'm not the first to suggest this, but is there a fit in Winnipeg where uh, he was born, where his dad played, yep. where after Mark Shifley, they could use some help down the middle. But what, what do you think is the perception of Domi? And do you think two years after he came to Montreal, he really could be on the move again? I mean, yeah, he could be on the move again for sure. Um, there's just so much more organizational depth in Montreal now than we thought there was. Yeah. They, they got so much coming. Um, it's hard to know um, without seeing the new contract. Like, what what is he going to want? What is that deal going to look like? Well, you I know what? This-, I, he, this is what I would say. If you really like Max Domi, now's the time to get him on a five-year deal that's probably yes. pretty pretty tasty for the team. You know, he doesn't have a ton of leverage. And if you believe in the player, this is a case where you go after this 25-year-old guy and say, we'll give you five years, and it'll probably be a pretty sweet annual hit. You have to believe in him, and you can't be wrong. Um, I, I think you might be able to get him at a pretty decent value in a trade right now if you Probably. really believe in him. But it's like it, he's just hard to kind of gauge. Like this year, you know, in in the playoffs, he got the late start in training camp. Right? He didn't he didn't come back right away. So there's an out there. Like maybe he just wasn't up to speed, and it takes a little time. And and maybe there's a reason for that. But. Um, you know, he scored 44 points in the regular season after a 72 point season last year um, in Arizona. He started really well and then he kind of took a step back. So it's just, it's hard to really know what Domi is. I, I think he's a number two center, but I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. I think there were long stretches this year where he looked more like a number three center. Um, so yeah. he might be in between those. Right. And then it comes down to how badly do you need a number two center Winnipeg to your point? Like they've been searching for that number two center for, a while they've had to make a couple of deadline deal moves to bring in a number two center. And then they've left at the end of that season. Um, So Domi could be a fit there, but how much are you willing to trade for a guy who might actually be a number three and doesn't impact you as much as you would like in that number two slot? He's really hard to get a handle on. I wouldn't want to pay up for him betting on him being a number two, but if I can get him a little bit cheaper and he turns out as a number two, I mean, that's where you hit the home run. Montreal doesn't seem to need him anymore, but they also don't have to trade him away right now because they've got control over him. He's 25, so you've got a couple more years until he's UFA eligible. It's just the cap, right? And Montreal has a lot of cap too, so they're they're not really forced into doing anything, which kind of makes me think he's going to be back next year. I don't know if there's anybody who's going to pay up enough to make Mark Bergevin feel he's got to move him. Um, but I, I might I might be wrong. It's just he's been inconsistent through most of his career. So it's hard to really gauge what his worth is. So speaking of Winnipeg, let me throw a name out there that was not on the list. Uh, Nick Ehlers was, but what about Line A? I mean, he, you know, yeah. you, you spin around the internet, you see some things, you put two and two together. You do wonder if, you know, dealing from a position of strength with scoring wingers with great forwards, they're going to have to pay him uh, after this coming season. He's coming off the two-year bridge deal. Would it have to be a home run return to consider moving line? What do you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the guy could be one of the absolute best goal scorers in the league. And I don't think you're trying to give away those guys for 
less than a, a huge return. Um, I didn't have him on this list because I just think it's going to be really hard off season to make that kind of a move. And, and I, again, I don't think it's something that Winnipeg has to do right now. Like they have bigger fish to fry. They've got to, they've got to figure out that defense. Um, you know, there is clearly an open window here for this team to run through, to take a couple of runs at the Stanley cup. If just they can improve that top four blue line. So I wouldn't be looking at making huge changes like line a even Ehlers is one that's, I'm a little iffy on because it still feels to me like Ehlers has another level to get to as yeah. a point. It feels producer. like he's going to wind up being a 35 to 40 guy, not a 25 to 30. Exactly. Guy. Exactly. I don't think he's going to settle in as a mid twenties goal scorer. He could go uh, 10 more than that, 15 more than that. So I'm, I'm a little iffy on how comfortable I would be trading him. Um, but again, like, you know, and this goes back to Toronto too. Like, I don't think you should have to move out a Nylander or a Marner or a line a to get a defenseman. Really. I, I think you can try and move prospects or draft picks maybe to do something like that, which Winnipeg should be open to doing. Um, again, they should be trying to go all in and move for the Stanley cup right now before Blake Wheeler falls off or maybe Connor Hellebuck's just not as, consistent year in and year out like you want to go for this when you know your window is there and it very obviously is uh for the Winnipeg Jets so you know I'm going to update this top 25 lists over the next couple of weeks as we get into the offseason and maybe line a will show up but I I just don't think this is the offseason that Winnipeg can do it if, if you get through next year and it just hasn't worked out for the team or the player has another down year and then you've got to negotiate that RFA deal maybe that's when you can move on from him. Um, but I mean, he's just going to be, he's going to be so important for how this team recovers next year. You've got to score goals and it, it's hard for me to think that they can move him in an off season where it's, it's just going to be hard for a lot of teams to make any kind of trades. We'll close it on this. Don't sleep on PK Subban, who is on your list. If the devil's, move him and eat some of that salary. I just have a hard time believing we've seen the last days of PK as a very useful right shot, hard nosed defenseman in the NHL. Everything went wrong in New Jersey last year. He was a stud for Nashville that first year in the playoffs. A lot of hard miles. He's probably the kind of guy who will benefit from 10 months off is, which is probably what he's going to, end up with and i think if you can get him for the three years left on his deal at a hit that comes in around six instead of around nine i can see the stories already of the rejuvenated suban rounding out someone's top four I, that is a, a low risk move that i think a lot of teams should be sniffing around a hundred percent um I, I absolutely agree with that like he's not going to be back to a Norris trophy level sure. anymore. Like he that's past. I think I would be shocked if he got back up to that, but can he help your power play? Can he be a physical uh, presence on your blue line? Can he log a lot of minutes? If, if PK Subban was on your second defense pair after being able to rest up the way he is, are you going to feel good about that at a $6 million cap hit? Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, it, it starts with New Jersey's got to retain a pretty no significant doubt. portion yeah. of that of that cap hit. I think everybody agrees, but New Jersey New Jersey can do that because all they're really in for, I think, is 
futures. They're, they're still building. And again, New Jersey gave up like almost nothing to get PK Subban in the first place. So you're all, you're playing with house money here where if you retain that salary and his value goes up again, you should probably be able to get one or two pretty good pieces for your future that the devils would feel good about. They don't really need PK Subban. They're not going to be challenging no. anytime soon. He's just an asset for them right now. And I think that they've got to use that this year. You're not going to, you know, it's not going to be a trade for in his prime PK Subban. It's not going to be two first round picks and a prospect or something like that. But again, the retained salary, if you can get a first, if you can get a good prospect back for PK Subban, I think there's a lot of teams that would jump all over that with the chance that Subban comes back to some level of significance which I would not be surprised at at all because he's always been a minute eater. You know, he's had back problems, which are a little concerning for sure. But like this downtime is going to do wonders for a lot of guys. He's one of them. And I just think he could explode again for some other team. A lot of teams that are looking to do well in the playoffs next year should be looking at PK coming up. We're going to talk about the team, specifically one team, Tampa Bay, that looks real good in these playoffs. Stick around. More to come on Tape to Tape. Two Islander goals in game one. Clutterbuck out to center. Matt Martin moved across for Nick Letty. He'll approach Ryan McDonough, who plays him well. The panel down. A swat at it. Vasilevsky. And they score! Matt Martin getting to it out in front. Hedman off the draw. Tees it up. They score! Victor Hedman with a bomb. And maybe a redirect out in front. 135 left in period one. Tampa Bay has tied it. Hold on. Through the middle. Here's Gord. Yanni Gord's in. Shut down by Varlamov. Outstanding save. And now in front of turnaround shot. Varlamov got a piece of that one. Palat had him dead to rights. McDonough cross. They score! Nikita Kucherov awaiting on the weak side. 7.8 seconds left. Tampa Bay with a 2-1 lead. Two seconds left. Hedman along the boards is tied up, and that's all. The Tampa Bay Lightning surround Andre Vasilevsky, get the game-winning goal from Nikita Kucherov, and lead the best-of-seven series, two games to none. Hey, welcome back to Tape to Tape. Don't forget to check out the Sportsnet Fantasy Hockey Pool presented by Ram. Just go to sportsnet.ca forward slash Ram. Your chance there to win up to 50K in cash prizes and the grand prize at 2020 Ram 1500 or 2500 sportsnet.ca forward slash Ram. Anyone who picked a few Tampa Bay Lightning is feeling pretty good, Rory. Man, that team were coming off uh, the night when they won game two against the Islanders. And I'll, I'll say this, I'll bookend it this way. Their last game, their last tune-up game against Boston when Hedman just turns on a nothing play and injures his ankle, you're just going, you know what? This team is cursed. Uh, we didn't yeah. know anything at that point about Stamkos. When Hedman left the ice that day, you really didn't know what was going to happen. Thankfully, he's been able to play. Um, and then you go up to last night. And when you start winning games like that, when the Islanders played Islander hockey to even that series – 
and Tampa ends up tying, getting a tying goal on what should not have been an icing. Um, and then Kucherov gets the winner with seven seconds left after Palat misses a golden chance. You know, the Islanders did everything right and still came out with an L. Now they're down in an 0-2 hole. It's just hard to fight the feeling that it might be Tampa's year. That said, Braden Point, the certainly the clubhouse leader for the Con Smythe, exited the game. And as of yet, we don't know what his status is. Hopefully, he's okay and is good to go. Yeah. Um, I mean, last that, that game too, that was the game the Islanders should have won, really. That's the game that team has to win yes. to make this a series. Yes, they controlled it. I mean, Tampa had 10 shots through the first two periods and then put 11 on net in, in the third. Um, that's the way the Islanders want them to play. Um, and and they had, like, they had total control of that game. Um, game one was like a scheduled loss, right? You got yeah. fresh Tampa Bay. Everybody's traveled across from Toronto to Edmonton. Tampa's had roughly a week off and the Islanders are just coming off a, a tough game seven series. Um, so you can kind of get past that eight, two loss and say, okay, that's not really a measure of, of who the Islanders are. This game was, and it was a defensive breakdown that cost them the game, which is maybe the most shocking thing yeah. of all. Um, Justin Bourne did a, a systems analyst piece for sportsnet.ca today that kind of looked at that last goal and like what actually happened, what went wrong for them. And it was just a couple of little missed assignments here and there. And, and the big one was Andrew Ladd missing a guy in front. And, and that's the guy who was inserted into the lineup um, and, and put on the ice at a big moment too, yeah. where you're trying to score a goal. Um, and so, you know, some of, some of those decisions, that decision on who was on the ice is being questioned, but Barry Trotz, I don't, I don't really think it's fair to, to question him at this point. You don't know what's going on on the bench. You don't know what factors are at play there. And the guy's got a, a great history, obviously. So I think he knows what he's doing. But it's just, it was shocking to see that, that it was a defensive breakdown at a crucial moment that lost the game for the New York Islanders. That's their bread and butter. So now you've, got a, now you've somehow got to shut down a, this Tampa Bay team just like that and win four of the next five. Yeah. I just don't see how that's doable for the Islanders. It was already hard to see a path for them to get through Tampa Bay. Now it's nearly impossible. Um, those are the games, you know, last year when Tampa got swept by Columbus, there was just no pushback. You've seen a lot of that kind of pushback from this year's Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, last, last night's game was just the, the latest example. There's a lot of character in that room. They've clearly grown um, and are better at dealing with adversity and the pressure in these playoffs than they were last year. And they've done it all with Steven Stamkos. Um, it's just absolutely incredible. They're still my Stanley cup pick. They're looking like that Stanley cup pick. I think Vegas is looking really dangerous on the other side too. So it's that that's going to be really interesting when you get to the next round. I think you're probably dealing with a better defensive team in Dallas or just a better all around team in Vegas than you're currently um, seeing with the New York Islanders. So the, the stiffest test is still ahead uh, for the Tampa Bay Lightning. But, I mean, if, if you can fight through New York's best defensive games the way Tampa Bay did in game two and come out on top, um, I mean, you, you, you can't ask for anything more. You can't look better than that as a Stanley Cup team. And they certainly do seem like this is the year they're, they're finally going to take that step and, and really break through. Well, in point Kucherov, 
and obviously Hedman have been leading the way, but I mean, Kevin Shattenkirk, like, you know, a guy basically left for dead. Um, who He's been fantastic for them. And up front, they are getting big contributions from that, that middle class with Palat and Gord. I mean, uh, the newcomers too are in the mix, right? Blake Coleman yep. has had a couple goals. Uh, Barkley Goodrow in the mix for uh, the wrong reasons uh, in the game against the Islanders. But, you know, that this team needed to get grittier and tougher and, and the ads seemed to be helping and the guys they were counting on to support the big boys are doing their job. Yeah. I think that's the biggest um, difference between this team and last year's team that maybe doesn't get talked about enough. Like you still, I think a lot of people still think of Tampa Bay as, you know, kind of like Toronto ish, like all skill. They're just going to win on offense. And if the offense dries up, then, good luck kind of thing, but yep. there's a lot more like, like Pat Maroon is another kind of guy. Like there's a lot more of that kind of sandpapery size, tough along the boards, tough in the corners, tough on the puck kind of presence than there are on, on a team like Toronto. Um, they, they have, they play you differently than they did last year. There is that pushback that they didn't have. Like they made changes to this roster in the off season and at the trade deadline that clearly had that in mind that they needed to be a little bit tougher than they were last year. And it's, it's worked just absolutely splendidly. You know, some people were wondering why Julian Breesbaugh was a GM of the year finalist when basically, <laughs> you know, you look, you look at the, the, the top part of this roster and you think, well, he just didn't mess up what Steve Eiserman put in place, but it's not just that. Like he, he took what Steve Eiserman left and complemented it with those last little side pieces that were just missing the, the Coleman's and the Maroons and all these guys we've talked about. And he identified the right ones. These guys have been really impactful for them in the playoffs. And so that's where I think he isn't undeserving of that GM of the year, uh, finalist nod. Um, because like it, it's one thing to take a team this far. It's another to really get specific about, what is missing when you're that close and you just can't get over the hump and then correctly bringing in those players. And he's done that. So now the team, they didn't have a lot of weakness before. I don't know if they have one at all right now. So if they win the cup without Stamkos, is Breezeball's next move to talk to him about waving that no move and say, I can clear 8 million off the books by trading Stamkos or have I lost my mind here? I mean, I wouldn't. It, it, Tampa Bay is really interesting because, A, they can't make trades right now because they're still playing, right? Yeah. Um, but they've got to do something because they're right up against the cap and Mikhail Sergachev yeah. and Anthony Sorelli are sitting there as RFAs and you can't afford both of them. You might not be able to afford Sorelli at all right now with the little cap space they've got. So you do have to clear out room. So it's, do you ask a guy like Stamkos to waive? Or do you look at a guy like Alex Killorn, who was on my top 25 trade candidates list, as a guy who is moving from a no-movement clause to a, a modified no-trade, where I think it's a list of 16 teams he has to provide the team that he can't be traded to. So that basically leaves half the league that he could be moved to. There's a lot of guys. Tyler Johnson. Like, There's a lot of forwards on that team that do have full no-move protection. So it's not easy mm -hmm. to figure out a way. It's basically either Killorn or you do ask one of those guys to wave. Can you imagine asking Steven Stamkos to wave like the first <laughs> overall draft pick scene, Stamkos, all that stuff. And it ends because you win a cup without him in your lineup. <laughs> uh, 
that's how much you know, better could you be? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I wrote about Tampa on the eve of the playoffs. I really feel like Stamkos has sneaky become that win it for this guy guy, and sure. I, I would love it if he got into the lineup for the final if Tampa indeed does get there. Yeah, that wouldn't be a cup of coffee I'd want to have <laughs> with. No. Uh, with the guy who's the face of the franchise. He but, could have tested free. Like, remember, yeah, that's like, right. that was before John Tavares signed in Toronto. There's a lot of speculation he could go to Toronto. And he didn't make it to July 1st before signing. So to then ask him to waive, that, that would be a tough convo. If you sure. want further confirmation, time flies. He's halfway through that eight-year deal <laughs> that he signed on that day, Rory. We are getting old. All right. The next time you hear from us, realistically, it'll be Stanley Cup preview time. We're working through the final four here. So make sure you check back for that. Get on sportsnet.ca. Follow everything we're doing uh, on hockey, not just hockey. The Raptors, oh man, thrilling stuff going on with them. The Blue Jays tracking an MLB playoff spot. So lots going on in the world of sports and .ca. Thanks so much, as always, to Rory for joining me. Thanks to our producers, Mike Tassoni and Michael Mares. And check back soon for more Glass Island hockey action on Tape to Tape.